Holly Cotton here, and I am so excited for our guest today. Shadon McCants is an HIV advocate, activist. Oh my gosh, you guys, she has so many credentials. She's going to tell us all about the work she's doing. Whenever we talk about being the change, Shadon is definitely living that. So welcome, Shadon. Can't wait to talk to you today. I am really excited. Thank you, Holly, for having me. Yes, let's get into this great dialogue and conversation. I know it's going to be amazing. I am so excited to be here with you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So before we get into it, because I know a lot of times we start talking about all of these roles that we have, and for you, there was actually a reason why this became your purpose in life. So can you give us a little insight into that before we get into all the letters? Cause y'all, she got all kind of stuff she's doing, but give us the, <laughs> how you found your purpose. So, um, yes, I am definitely really big in the space when it comes to HIV advocacy and activism. Um, so I like to tell people get ready what? Yes, I am a beautiful, bold Black woman who has been living and thriving with an HIV diagnosis for 27 and a half years. Um, December 19th of 1995, I tell people um, I was a 17-year-old little girl or young girl looking for love in all the wrong places. And um, what happened was is I had contracted meningitis and went got hospitalized for like six or seven days. And got out of the hospital, but I knew something wasn't right. They released me. They were like, oh, you're good. All your numbers are wonderful. You get to go home and continue to get well. Well, I knew something wasn't right. And so I went to my provider and um, yeah, I asked her to test me for HIV. Yes. At the age of 17. And at that time I found out that yes, I was living with um, and diagnosed with HIV at the age of 17. And that is where the journey began. Um, I tell people, it's definitely um, something that at 17 you don't expect, but what I know is in the moment that I sat in the doctor's office and received my diagnosis, two things happened. I heard God very loud and clear. It wasn't unto death. And two, that I will use you. Now, I tell folks at 17, I, me and God had a whole real conversation like we have today. Uh, what we're not about to do is that, God. That, that's not going to work. Um, but I was, I was, I understood the assignment, but of course I didn't begin to walk in it until, uh, 2019, which we can get into that. Yeah, as well. So that's just a little bit about how the journey began. Um, yeah. And then in 2019, I can tell people, so for 23 and a half years, I tell people I lived under the shadows of fear, shame, and guilt. I tell people I gave birth to those triplets. Um, because yeah, I sat in the doctor's office and I heard, you know, the assignment for me, but I wasn't willing to and ready to walk into that. So I tell people I gave birth to the triplets and those were shame, shame of really identifying that again, I was unworthy, unlovable immediately in that moment, fear of, oh my God, if someone was to find out, what am I going to do? And the guilt of how did I get here? Even at 17, like, how could you have done this to yourself? How could you get here? And so literally, um, I tell people, I, you know, I picked up from there and continued to just do what I needed to do to exist in the world. Um, I began to, you know, of course, I still graduated from high school. Um, I went on to go to college. But the dreams that I had were also deferred. So 
I just began to just do what I needed to do. 23 and a half years later, I can remember that um, it's kind of what we call a dark night of the soul. It's kind of that moment I was like, okay, God, I've achieved so much, but yet there's still this emptiness inside. So what am I supposed to do? And with that, um, I, I got clear. I heard the voice of God again say, it's time. And I was just like, I don't know what time means, <laughs> but I did. I understood what it meant. Um, but me and God had to again have some other conversations because I was like, okay, God, so what does this really mean? Right. Um, and so I understood and I, you know, through just prayer and meditation and mindfulness, you know, God told me it's time. Your story isn't yours anymore. I've allowed you all these years to, to do you. So now it's time to be about, you know, your business, be about your purpose, be about your destiny. And it's like, some will say, huh, what do you mean? Um, and for me, I understood that my story was no longer mine, that there was too many women, young women, girls, adults, young men living afraid. Um, and I, at that moment, I knew I didn't have to be anymore. And so I was adamant that I would take my story back, that I would own it. Um, and so in December of 19, uh, in December, 2019, 2019, rather, December 19th of 2019, I decided to take my story to every social media platform and I told my story publicly. Um, I came out as, again, a beautiful, bold Black woman who had been living um, with HIV. At that time, I hadn't been thriving, though. But I had been living with and pretty much really just existing with a diagnosis, but I was ready to share my story with the world. And if some young woman or some young man was going to, you know, find themselves or be able to see themselves in my story, then I was willing to do what it took. And so that's really, really when it started. Um, me just becoming a really uh, an advocate and an activist and a voice um, to silence the shame around HIV. Um, to give it a face, to give it a voice, um, and yeah, continue to do the work that I'm doing today. So that's just a little bit about that. So before we get into the work part of it and all of the, the things that, that, like you said, you listened to the voice and you took off running with it. So mm -hmm. loved all of that. But let me just, just kind of rewind back to being 17 years old. And and so one, when I think of being 17, I think about being all the stupid stuff that I did. I think about being unable to figure out anything. And not only that, but being a mom, I have had two 17 year olds that seem like they're just ridiculously naive about so many things. So, so when I think about being 17 and, and the mindset of that myself and my kids and how mature you were to know to do that, to, to get tested, to, to now be dealing with it. Can you just go back and tell us about just being 17 in that moment? And because how did you tell your parents or how did you start treatment? Like, can you just give us something? Because the reason I'm asking about that is because people think that HIV is, is just non-existent right now because all the drugs that, and me being a nurse, I know it all the time. No one's afraid of it anymore. They're like, 
I don't care. People live with it forever or whatever. I could deal with it as medication. It brings the viral load down. But when you hear that you're diagnosed, it's a totally different outlook when you actually get that confirmation. <laughs> so it's basically like when you effed around and found out that's what <laughs> it happened. Mm -hmm. So tell us just about that when you were 17 and what the emotions were of, of going through that diagnosis. Ooh, okay. So if I take you guys back, um, like I stated, one of the, my saying was I was a young girl looking for love in all the wrong places. So for me, um, exactly. I was very solid, 10 toes down, if it makes any sense. By 17, I was already living on my own. Um, both my parents, my father had been in and out of um, incarceration. Um, and my mother, I like to preface this, she did the best that she could. That's what I will say. Um, but in even in her best, what we know, um, both of our parents, even in giving us their best, sometimes they fail. Sometimes they make mistakes. And so through um, physical, emotional, um, and sexual abuse, things had happened to me. And so by the age of 15, I was um, living on my own. I was going to school. I was working. I was doing what I needed to do to survive. Um, and so when I say looking for love for me, that was, um, you know, sleeping around with different young men, anybody, um, that would show me or what seemed like, or thought I thought was love. That's who I gravitated to. Um, and so, um, I was navigating, I was doing what I thought, or I was surviving. And so I remember in my senior year of high school, um, I had gotten sick actually, before I caught meningitis back in, I want to say early that year, like September of my senior year, I got what I call the forever cold. Um, that's what I call it now as a 17 year naive person, just doing me. I got a cold, but I couldn't shake the cold. Like it would get better. Um, I was taking NyQuil and all the things like, you know, just going about my business. And then what I really, one day I was at work and I'll never forget, I saw on TV, it said that there was an outbreak of meningitis at a campus campus near where I was working. And so I looked at it and I was like, hmm. And I remember the signs and the symptoms very clear. It was a migraine. It was sensitivity to light, nausea, and just fever, all these symptoms. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That seems familiar. And so needless to say, I remember passing out. Um, I was visiting my father's house and I passed out. He, I woke up, I was at the hospital. Of course, they gave me a spinal tap and said, yeah, you have meningitis. They treated me. And at that time, it's a, it's just the same day treatment. You know, you get your antibody bag, lay on, lay flat for eight hours. You get to go home. Well, I did all of that, but I got worse. So my mom had to take me back to the hospital six days later. As I said, I was there eight spinal taps later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I remember screaming. I remember hollering. I remember the nurses being so mean. It was, it was, it was horrific. Honestly, I yeah, because one spinal tap is going to take you, humble you real quick. Very quick. Remember, I had already had that at the, in the clinic. Mm -hmm. So to know it was like, literally like, honestly, I, between six and eight spinal taps later, I'll never forget it. And it was just painful. And, um, but again, they released me from the hospital. And so this is where I, you know, when I talk about my, um, my advocacy work and my activism work at that time. My medical record, I found out years later, um, they never thought to test me for HIV. Had all the symptoms, all the signs, but never that test. So again, for me, I, I know the life that I had been living. And earlier that year, I had written in a journal 
I still have it to this day. I should have brought it out. And I wrote in a journal. On one side, I had written the people that I had slept with up until that time. The other side of it said, I had wrote a prayer to God and I said, God, if you would prevent me from contracting HIV, I'll just do anything. So I knew something was off. I didn't know what. And so, like I said, I had a very great relationship with my provider. Um, she was a nurse practitioner. Of course, I called her a doctor. That's all I knew her as is Dr. Linda. Um, but I, of course, hindsight now know better. She was a nurse practitioner. I called her and I said, hey, Linda, I need to get tested. And she's like, well, you just got out of hospital. And I'm like, yeah, I did. But I need you to test me. And sure enough, like I said, you know, she did that. What I remember was I was sitting um, cause I was back and forth between visiting my father. This was a time where he wanted to, you know, be a father and was like, oh, well, you don't need to live on your own, whatever. That's a whole nother story. But I was sitting at his house and I remember getting the call and Linda was like, Hey, Shannon, um, I need you to come into the doctor's office, but I need you to bring your mother. And I was like, why? Mind you, at this point, I didn't had, I don't know how many STDs. I've been treated upteen times for everything. I could tell you right hip, left hip, you know, this is gonorrhea, this is chlamydia. We need to go and get it done. I was, I, I knew. So when she said, though, you needed to bring your mother, I knew in that moment what it was. And I was like, honestly, I really, I still remember. I was like, okay, cool. I hung up. I remember calling my mom. I said, hey, we need to go to the doctor's office tomorrow. My mother was like, of course, she didn't have any clue because I wasn't going to say anything to anybody because I'm honest. If I had to, I still say to this day, if I could, if I had to do it all over, I wouldn't have told my parents. I would have just continued to do what I needed to do to survive. Um, but any, but either, nevertheless, I still had to tell my mother. We got to the doctor's office and I'll never forget Linda sitting here, my mom and me. And I, Linda looked me in my face and she said, Shadon, your test results are back. And I'm sorry to tell you, you tested positive for HIV. And I said, okay. I mean, I don't know what else I could have said, but I remember seeing the tears in her eyes, the tears in my mother's eyes. But again, for me, it was like, so what's next? What are we going to do? Right. And, and that's, and I know people, and, and so of course, as a licensed therapist, I think back, I'm like, y'all should have had somebody in the room. Y'all should have called somebody in here. Cause a 17 year old, you just told that's her. That's that calm. Is that calm is called a disassociation in this moment. And we need to do some, we need to make sure she's okay. But they didn't. I, I mean, I remember my mother crying, asking a million and one questions about, you know, how can she save her baby? What can I do? And I just said, Linda, what's next? What are we going to do? In that moment, I chose life. I knew I, it was either life or death, and I chose to live. I, I, don't know, I didn't know necessarily what that would look like, but I understood I wasn't going to die. And so um, I will say probably within two weeks of that, of that appointment, they had made, you know, already scheduled me with the IDC, which for those that may not know is, is an infectious disease doctor. Um, and she was amazing. Um, she was, I, I was actually her first 17 year old. I was her first adolescent patient ever um, in the clinic. It was Holmes Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'll never forget walking in there. It was still before my 18th birthday. I'll never forget it. It was like, I knew I was getting ready for 18, but it was like, I was also getting ready for the fight of my life. And so when I walked in there with, um, her name is Dr. Judith Feinberg. I love her to this day. She said, you know, I'm gonna just tell you, you're going to live, but you got to make it your choice. And I said, hey, okay. 
What do I need to do? So when that day, you know, of course, that's when they continue to do a, a bunch of blood work. And me and her, I just never forget. She hugged me. She told me I got you. It's even making me emotional. She, you know, she made sure she told me she had me and I trusted her. I believed her um, in that moment. And yeah, that's when the journey began. The journey began with me starting with two medications at that time, you know, as a nurse, you know, it was only two. The FDA had just approved actually the first AM, what we call ARTs, which is antiviral medications. Mm -hmm. And that was AZT and 3TC. I was just about to say they put everybody on AZT. <laughs> they did. And that was that was the only that was all. That was what we had. And that's what I started with. Um, I if I'm correct, I, I want to say it was probably, I think it was like um three pills twice a day. So I was like on the six pill regimen. Um, yeah, and I was determined. I was like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. Now don't get it twisted. You know, 17, it was hard because I'm like. What, what am I about to do? I'm a senior. I got things to do, a life to live. And I was still, you know, being me. I was still the young girl looking for love in all the wrong places. So how is this diagnosis now about to shift my life? What are we, what am I going to do? Um, I will say, you know, as I told you, I gave birth to fear. I was afraid. I was scared. I, you know, I had my best friends in high school, but again, I don't know who to tell. Outside of my mother knowing, it was like, now who can I trust to tell my story? Um, I remember telling my my best friend at the time in high school, asked her to keep it a secret. And I got, I got through the year. I got through my senior year. By my 18th birthday, I, I, I applied for my first um, apartment my in my name. Because even though I had been living on my own at that time, it was in, a, um, in my godfather's name. He had gotten me an apartment and made sure I was okay. But at that point, I was like, I got to I got to do what I got to do. I applied for my first apartment right after my 18th birthday um, and just continued to do what I needed to do. It wasn't easy, but I did it. Right. Girl, you got me all teary. Um, so <laughs> I love that. I love that. But I'm glad that you did say something because I kind of I kind of want to let that lead into what my next question is. But I think that people that radiate certain energy, they give off these vibes. I think that a lot of times we had people in our lives that were monumental to something that we were going through or whatever it was. It's like, you remember there was this terrible situation. Like I will forever remember when I got my diagnosis of breast cancer. I remember I was, I was at clinicals in nursing school and my nursing professor, I'll never forget her name. Mm -hmm. And she was like the person I remember they called me and I walked out the doors and she was standing. I even put her in my first book. And mm -hmm. for me, I took that as I want to be that person for someone else. And I want to be the person where people have this crappy, whatever. And, and I went on to teach nursing. I, I wanted to be that person for whoever else. So like you were saying that that doctor sort of helped you and hugged you and gave you all of all of the things that you needed at that particular time. So I think that also pivoted you where like when I do these things, I'm going to be that person for someone else. So tell us about, okay, you guys, let me, let me go. Hold on. Let me swallow. 
because she got a long, long bio here. <laughs> so Shadon is a licensed professional counselor. She is also the owner and clinical director of Know and Live Counseling and Consulting. She specializes in holistic wellness for women, adolescents, couples. She's also the founder of To Know Is To Live, a nonprofit organization. So just give us a little insight, Shadon, into some of those things and, and like how you decided this is what you were going to start doing. Um, so as I stated, you know, I'm one of those that you spoke on something. It's an energy. There is I've known me for a long time. I feel like, you know. Um, the spirit of God, universe, you know, my ancestors, they've walked with me and talked with me for a very long time. So as a young kid, I always knew there was three things that I wanted to do when we look at the American dream life. That was be a lawyer. Um, I wanted to either be a lawyer, a social worker, um, or a police officer. It was like, those were the things. I was reading your, your Miranda rights as a little kid. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can, it will be used. I was that. I was not expecting police officer. I was not. <laughs> yes, I was. Those were the three things like I dreamed of. I was like, okay. And then, but also because of, I think the inability to dream because of my my upbringing and certain things, I also I wanted to also be an actor or a model, an actress and a model. Like I just knew I was that, um, and I had that desire. But again, early on, I had to survive. I had to figure out, okay, so how are you going to survive in this world? What does that look like? And so, um, as I continued to grow older, um, my dreams of acting and modeling, I just kind of had to put it on the side. Um, I was academically very, I did very well academically. So it was just like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What is it going to look like? And so in high school, I did, I went back to pursuing acting and modeling. I loved it. It was something that I, I did. But then once, like I said, I got the diagnosis, things shifted. It was like, okay, you got to go back to something that's simple, easy, breezy, something that you can fall back on that's, you know, you can do. And so um, I decided, I knew I was going to go to college. I knew I could go to college. Um, and so, um, I went, fin finally finished my undergraduate degree, um, and got an undergraduate degree in criminal justice and psychology from the university of Cincinnati. And I knew I wanted to, to work in, like I said, criminal justice. I started out in the juvenile detention center, loved it, loved everything about it. Cause I love my adolescent babies. Um, and so I just, I kind of journeyed along and did some of the things that I, you know, was easy, that came easy to me. Um, if that was not working in social services, all the things. In 20, in 2009 is when I just said, you know what, I'm going to finally do it because I always wanted to be a social worker. And at the time, I didn't know the difference. There was a real difference between social work and therapy. I just knew I loved helping people. I understood that I had also wanted to be, as you talked about earlier, I wanted to be what people weren't for me or what I could, what I didn't have. Um, so I talked about just a little bit, my childhood was, was rough. It was rough. Um, I, you know, my mother was very abusive, very. Um, and oftentimes I wanted someone to come and save me and they didn't. Um, and so I needed and wanted to be that for young, for young girls. And so when I went and got my degree in counseling, it was to be that for others. Because, yeah, when CPS was called and CPS didn't come, 
when the social workers, you know, would check in and think everything was okay. Um, yeah. And just the pain, all of that, I needed to be that. And so that's actually what, of course, landed me with a degree in counseling, um, becoming a counselor specifically to adolescents and women and young girls. I love them. Um, and so I ended up in that space. Of course, I've did a lot with my under, with my uh, counseling degree. I've worked in a jail setting. I've worked alongside police officers. So I've, I've pretty much, I've worked. Well, we so side. glad you got to live some of your dreams. I did. I really did, Holly. Like, and I tell people, I was like, so I've really gotten to. You didn't get to him them up or nothing, but at least you got to help them. Well, you know, as a juvenile detention center, I had to hem some folks up. As a psych tech, I've had to hem some folks up. I mean, you know, of course, you know, the way that they teach you. So I've had my experience in working in the humanitarian space, in this space of giving back, in, in the space of justice, in the space of, you know, being able to be that um, safety net and humanitarian for people who need it most. Um, hence how fast forward, you know, I've gotten into where I'm at now as a licensed professional counselor. But I will tell people I'm more of a healologist now because one of the things is, is I do understand is that therapy is amazing, but I believe in healing. And so that's also, you know, just a whole nother thing that I've gotten into. Um, as a therapist, I tell people um, every healer is a therapist, but every therapist isn't a healer. And so I'm very passionate about that work. Um, but then there's the nonprofit of course, that I created. Um, and I started that back in 2017, started developing it, and it's called To Know Us To Live. And so as I tell people, or you heard me talk about earlier, I lived, I was just living with my diagnosis, but I was afraid. I wasn't speaking out loud. Um, I wasn't really doing a lot publicly. I wasn't doing anything publicly, actually. If you caught me talking about HIV, it was in a very, very private, small, you know, secret, secret society type of situation. Um, but in 2017, and so I created this hashtag, actually, this was probably early in the 2000s. If you would catch my post on Facebook or, you know, at that time, only Facebook, you would see me say hashtag to know us to live. No one knew what it meant, but me. And I knew to know is to live. And what that meant was, is to know your status is to live your whole best life. And so, again, I would, you know, advocate for people, you know, when I would have one-off conversations or I would be in settings, I was always that person that would have a conversation about HIV, sexual health, you know, really knowing what you needed to know, but nobody knew what that meant. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, again, that's when I, I like I said, I, my dark night of the soul started to begin and I began to question and ask God, what was my next step? I understood that that's what it would be. Hence the birth of the nonprofit to know is to live. And so it's just that. It's an organization that educates, um, empowers through the lens of mental wellness and health and wholeness. Um, just everything around HIV, but sexual health, um, just for Black and specifically for Black women in the Black community. Mm -hmm. um, because I am very, I'm, I'm very an advocate when it comes to the disparities of HIV in, in our different communities, specifically Black communities there's a huge disparity. It's kind of what you talked about earlier. And it's either the two lenses that either people think HIV is non-existent or they're no longer afraid of HIV because it's like, oh, it's no big deal. But the reality is, is it's not that. You have a choice to not be diagnosed with HIV, but you also have a choice to be educated and empowered and emboldened to live your whole best life. 
outside of a diagnosis. And so that's what I, I, my goal, that's what my whole mission is when it comes to really being a voice and a face for individuals in this space of HIV. So that's and I was, I love that. I love that. And I was actually going to um, ask you about it because I was reading the, um, the, uh, the information about your to know is to live. And I was going to ask you because one of the words that you have in there is empower women. And mm -hmm. so I just think that that's, I, I love that adjective or whatever adverb, adjective, verb, whatever, exactly. one of them, whatever, whatever it is, a grammar police that's going to come for me. But I love, <laughs> I love that you use that word as a descriptor of what your organization is, because you always hear about education. You always hear about the treatment. You always hear about diagnosis, whatever, whatever it is. But the fact that you use that word about empowering women, I, I, I love that. So why did you use that word? What does empowered mean to you when you're talking about your organization? Ooh, empower is just that. I'm, my hope is to give you or to let you know that you have, you have so much power, sis like so much power within you. And it's not, I'm not talking about the strong, black strong woman syndrome. I'm talking about the power to choose, the power to know, the power to navigate in spaces and places that oftentimes would tell you that you can't be there. Um, but it's also the other part about being empowered and empowering women is it's only powerful when you use it. And so for me, my goal is sis, Use what I have and I am giving you. I am equipping you with because it's yours. No one can take it from you. They like to think that they can. It's either they, you know, when we think about HIV and the lack of education and the lack of knowledge that is there, it renders you powerless. But once you've been in the space or the place with me, I am going to hopefully empower you to know so that you can live your whole best life. And you can soar because you can, because now you have the power to do and to, ex you know, to be all I'm trying, like, I'm just that person. It's like, sis, you are now empowered. Nobody can take that from you to do what you need to do to make the choices that are best for you. So that's why I use it. Because for me, uh, there was a long time where I felt powerless. Like I didn't know, and I didn't feel like I had the skills or the tools to really soar. Well, now you do. And I'm going to make sure that you do. Anytime that you're in a space with me, that is my hope. That is my hope that you leave, that you leave knowing that you have the power to choose and to do and to exist and to slay the runway of your life, sis. I know that's right. I, you know what? I'm all motivated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shadon. Uh, so, so the last thing I want to talk about is I've on some of the things that you're also working with, because a lot of times, you know, you get these, these ideas, you have nonprofit, you are entrepreneur, you have all of these things. But when you start aligning with people, I always give the analogy of a car. Look how fast a car can go compared to a unicycle. You're all going in the same direction, but on a unicycle, you can only go so far. But when you put four wheels and 
you have people all going in the same direction, you're going to be able to go much further. So a lot of the things that you're doing where you, you partner with people, a co-chair for the Texas Black Women's Health Initiative, uh, ambassador for the Let's Stop HIV Together Initiative. So give us an idea of, uh, or give us an insight into how you were able to start this is what I'm doing. And now let me align with these people. So how did that transpire? So I will say this. When I told my story, if you heard, it was December 19th of 2019, literally four months before the pandemic. So of course I had this a, a different vision about what my advocacy was going to look like. So literally I became, you know, the social media, this, this Zoom world became my, my platform. It became my world. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, people asking questions. Um, and so, of course, I put my story out on YouTube. That was the first start. And people began to pay attention. Um, but because I was no longer afraid, I started reaching out to, you know, organizations and individuals. One of them, the first one was actually the city of Houston, um, the health department. Um, I knew some people that had worked in the HIV, hepatitis and tuberculosis division. And I just went to them led by a phenomenal black woman. And I just told her, I said, Hey, I am, I'm here. I'm ready to serve. And she was just like, okay, so whatever that looks like, I got you. And so from there, it just, it just soared. And so, um, I, yeah, it's just like, I think I just had to be bold enough to have the conversations with the individuals that were either a doing the work um, or people that I wanted to bring into the space. And so um, the CDC actually sought me out. So I think one of the things was, is for me, a lot of the opportunities came looking for me um, and it just went from there. But a part of that was because I was um, at a space where I was no longer afraid and people were like, oh, she really about to tell it all. Yes, unapologetically, um, authentically as I can and with a different lens. I'm not coming to the space, woe is me. I'm not coming to the space that, you know, I I'm coming to the space either A, there's a table and I want to sit at it or there's no table and I'm going to create one. And so that's kind of also what has happened because, yeah, the, um, the CDC actually found me through my work on social media, just being present and consistent. Um, and I'm actually in my second season, my second ambassadorship with them, just recently asked to do a third ambassadorship with them. So I love that, that um, I'm able to be an ambassador for the, and it's called the Let's Stop HIV Together campaign, which is all about educating um, whether that is individuals living with HIV, how to live their whole best lives, or more importantly, prevention. How do we prevent? How do we stop the spread of HIV? What does that look like? Um, how do we talk about testing? How do you get tested? Um, so I'm, I definitely love that. Um, then there's their technologies. I'm a part of their a face of their campaign. It's called, um, no, that one's not. I was about to say something different. It's I am a champion, hope for the future. And so that highlights the stories of four individuals living with HIV. And then there is a documentary I'm a part of that, again, an amazing person there in, in Houston, an organization called The Truth Project. We did a documentary and we rest on giants. We are five um, film festival nominations and two official selections. And so you just have to stay engaged, like how I met you, Holly. I was at an event and it's like, you know, sometimes you think your messaging 
is not appropriate for certain spaces and places. You never know. And so I've been grateful to have uh, relationships with amazing mentors and coaches and counselors. And yeah, the message is across the board, you know, just really wanting to empower people to, there's two things for me. Yeah, you may not be living with a diagnosis of HIV, but you've experienced something in your life that attempted to try and take you out. My goal is, is to, to hopefully empower you to know that you are so much bigger than that. And so, hence, you'll find me in different spaces and places, whether that's, you know, a wellness conference or, you know, a conference on finance, because it's all about wealth. It's all about your, your you know, you showing up total, whole and connected because all of it plays a part like mind, body, soul. So those are just some of the things. What else? Of course, the Texas Black Women's Health Initiative. That was, again, me speaking up and realizing that um, the voices of Black women were silenced. And so how do I, how can I use my voice to be even more um, in the places and spaces that it needs to be when it comes to Black women in health? And so um, even though I've since moved to Atlanta, I am now, of course, giving up that seat. Um, but that's something that I'll still stay connected to because Houston is home. I'm a part of a, um, various other CABs, which are community advisory boards. I make sure that wherever um, the, my voice and the voices of Black women can be heard, I'm going to be there. And so that's just how I continue to do it. There's so many other things in the works um, between working on my own documentary, you know, working on my own book, and just continuing to know that um, the biggest thing for me is that I am in and doing my, I'm, I'm in my soul's assignment. I'm in alignment with my soul's assignment. And so I know as long as that is what is my leading force, it's un, I'm unstoppable. So, yeah. Okay. I love that. I love that. Okay. So last question. I think that... I think that whenever you find your passion and you start living your passion, I think that we are obligated in some kind of way to also share the struggle of living your purpose. Because I think a lot of times people, you know, will see us in this polished we got all of these things. Oh, oh my God, Holly, she's all going here. She's going there. She's doing this, but they don't know all of the struggles. They don't know the late nights. They just see the success. And I had a guest before and he said, no one cares about your story unless you win. And I was like, you know what? That's, <laughs> that's deep, yes. <laughs> but, but true. And I was like, okay, so that's why people care about, oh, that's why people in my business. No, I'm <laughs> Yeah, we win and boo, we win. But uh, so same thing for you, you know, I, all of these things that you're doing, all, all, of, all of these these things, and it seems like you're doing it so effortless and, and, you know, you found your purpose and it's like, bam, 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 all of these things. But I do know that there was some sort of struggle, obviously, you know, the day-to-day uh, insight. So, you know, how is your health or are you like staying away from the stress of this? Cause I know stress can also compromise your immune system. So do you have any things that are going on 
that you want to share about like, hey, let me give y'all a transparent moment right here. Like, yeah, I have a diagnosis. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. I'm doing all of this. I'm, you know, sashaying on the runway. But this is what I want to leave you guys with. So, um, so you know what? You're right. I I think because I am. People, if you follow me on any social media, though, I'm always transparent. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to be honest 100 of the time. It is not always. It ain't always been a, a, a crystal stare. Remember the poem. I love that that poem. It hasn't always been that. Um, and so I tell people to maintain because I do get in my moments where I, I, I have to honestly speak life into myself every day. Because some days I get up with a level of anxiety. Some days I get up like, hmm, I'm so over this. I'm so tired. Like, what's today? What we got it like? You know, and some days I just don't want to, I don't feel like being on. So I tell people though, because again, it does go back to, I understand that it's so much bigger than me. And when I have those moments, I truly just lean in. Not only do I lean into what is happening, the emotion that I'm feeling, I'm able to sit in it because I've come to a place that I feel like um, I've started a healing journey. I started it in 2017 and I haven't stopped. And I understand on the journey of healing, there's ebbs and flows. And that that journey also is not linear, meaning it's not just straight across. It means you're going to have some moments where it dips down real low, where you feel like you got to start back over. Um, And it's going to be moments where it's really high. Like, you know, that's what the world sees. It's like, oh my gosh, she got it going on. Like, da, 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 da. Just know even when you see that, I am still breathing, I am still leaning in, and I'm still being intentional about practicing gratitude, giving myself grace, being self-compassionate, because I know that I can't stop, I won't stop, because there is still someone waiting. I don't know who she is, I don't know who he is, but it's a part, they're part of my assignment, so I can't give up, but I do take rest when necessary. I do sit when I need to sit. I sleep when I need to sleep. Um, and also part of my part of my my how I'm able to continue to show up the way that I do is because I have a container, meaning that I have a circle and a support system that's amazing. That's really a, you know, also I think it's important when people see me, just know that I'm not by myself. Because I'm not that person that believes I can do it all by myself and I got this. No, no, no. I have a therapist, a consultant, you know, my own spiritual advisor. I have all the things to keep me grounded and to keep me centered. So, I mean, you know, it definitely hasn't always been easy. Like I tell people, I cry. I'm a good crier. Like now I think it's a cry coming on soon because it's like so much has been happening. Right. Like I've had a lot happening, a lot of great things happening. And so for me, crying is a way to also just be like, still be like, oh, is it still happening? And just be happy and just, you know, be in a space, cry it out, shout it out, dance it out, move it out, all the things. Um, But don't think, don't just look at somebody and see them right now and be like, oh, they got it all together. Oh, my God. Baby, you don't know what it took to get here. And know that your journey is your journey. I don't want to walk in your shoes. Don't ask to walk in mine. 
Because again, this is my soul's assignment. What is yours? That's just how I see it. Thank you. Okay, I love that. It's not your okay. All right. Mental note. Heard it. <laughs> I love that. It is. I mean, a lot of times that's one of the things I think that gets in our way. It's like, cause Holly, I can see you. You, you know, I see you. You're doing amazing things. And we have to check ourselves because it's like, no, that's Holly's assignment. That ain't mine. My assignment is my assignment and yours is yours. And I get to celebrate you in all of yours as you get to celebrate me in all of mine. And I think that's as a people, the more that we can just lean into that, that what, what, what God and whether that's God, universe, source, ancestors, whatever you, however you see your higher power, you have an assignment. What is yours? And when you can continue to focus on that, boy, what's going to happen? What happens? The doors that are open, the pathways that are made. When I begin to do that, that's how you're able to sit here and see me do what I do, how I do it, and not worry about what my sister or brother actually just, you know, not necessarily worry about what they're doing, congratulate them, celebrate them, but also know that my time is my time, my season is my season, and what's for me is for me. Because it's like I said, it's some stuff coming, you know, I can't wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. But no. I do. I say the same thing though. Like I always, I always do my hashtag whole team winning because I feel like I, I don't compete with anyone. I, I love to see everyone. And, and even, even my whole purpose as Holly Cotton is to, you know, my, my show is to highlight other people doing well. So I don't care that the person is going to get views off of this or that, or they're doing better than me. Like that's my, my purpose is to be a voice is to be the change that we need. So sometimes I just step back and let whoever it is shine. Cause you just needed a platform to, to, to get all these people following me for whatever reason. I don't know why, but you know, so now you get the, you might get exposed to someone that's there. So it's like, it's that whole collaboration. I I think people forget about it's not competition it's collaboration. So, um, I love that. I'll like, okay. So I know you said, can I just say one thing? Yes. Don't know what you're doing. Cause you do know what you're doing. It was like you just did a double contundra, you know, that thing that they say. But you do know. You just said it. Like, you are you're a way maker. You open doors. So you do know. And I think that's the other thing is, is standing in and owning what you do. Because, like, you are amazing. Like, literally, we were on a stage together. Very, you know, the, it was a quick panel. But you came up to me. You was like, Shadon, you know what? I want to make sure you're on my show. And, I, you know, you hear that. And I would be honest, like you hear people say stuff like that, but you follow through Holly. So you do know what you are doing. And it's, and I thank you. And I know so many others because you are again in alignment with your soul's assignment, opening doors and being what people need in this season. So. Oh, thank you. Okay. Listen, I said, stop trying to make me cry. This whole show you've been trying to make me cry, Shadon. Stop it. (laughs) Thank you though. I love that. Thank you so much. I needed that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So you got lots of projects, lots of things you're working on. Tell anyone that's listening, watching how they can find you, get in touch with you, support you website, drop all of that now. 
<laughs> so guys, if you just everything, everything is Shadon McCants on all social media platforms. Um, so I have my YouTube channel, which is only two stories, but I'm going to get better guys, but I'm on all social media platforms at Shadon McCants and you'll see it. It's down at the bottom, how to spell my name. That's Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn. You can send me an email. It's at Shadon McCants at gmail.com. I'm always looking to collaborate um, with individuals, especially when it comes to, um, yeah, just being a voice for Black women, educating, empowering. Like I said, there's a lot of different hats I wear. So if there's a space that you want me to come and be a part of a conversation when it comes to wellness, um, I'm there. Healology. Yes, I am a healologist. I believe in, you know, really, really empowering people to heal from the inside out. Um, and that's in all spaces and places in, in, in your life. So hit me up. I'm open. I do respond to messages and I'm looking, I'm looking forward to collaborating in any way that I can. So. Okay, great. Great. And for my Southern people, um, Dawn is really Dawn. So if you're listening to this and you don't, you didn't look at the podcast notes, it's basically shot Dawn. But, but you know, we, we're trying to, we're trying to not say everything is Dawn and it's so funny. You guys should have heard us before. Cause she was like, you know, like Dawn, the, the, um, the dishwashing liquid. And I'm like, Dawn. <laughs> or the, the, the breaking of day, the Dawn. Yeah, of day. And I'm like, right. I, I call that Dawn also. <laughs> so it was so funny. I love it. So Shadon, S H A. D-A-W-N-M-C-C-A-N-T-S. All of her social media, everything is that. And then, of course, I'll have all of the clickable links in the podcast notes and everything. So thank you so much, Shadon, for telling us your story, sharing all that information. Hopefully you guys are inspired. I know she definitely made me feel more empowered after hearing all of that. So thank you so much. Thank you. And maybe, you know, we'll come back and have a conversation or again, just follow me. Um, you know, as we talk about more things about, you know, again, the advancement of HIV, because you see me sitting here, but there is, of course, a lot that goes behind that. So, yeah, maybe one day we can have that. that yes, more thank you. Isn't there, what, what, month, what month is HIV Awareness Month? So there are several months, um, okay. actually next month in August, which we know we won't come back that soon, but month next month is Southern um, HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. Um, December is World AIDS Day. And then we have National Testing Day, which just passed in June. The next one that we probably could come together is again, maybe World AIDS Day, which is mm -hmm. where we honor and celebrate the lives. But then there is also in um, February, there is um, African-American National HIV and Awareness Day. And then in March is National Women and Girls HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. So there's a lot of different times that we can come and have this conversation. Because again, I, I never want to leave people with, of course, not knowing the facts when it comes to HIV in 2023 um, and how you can stay HIV negative, but also for those that are living, how U equals U is so important to undetectable equals untransmittable. So right. yeah, for sure. For sure. Because even though like uh, I, I try to highlight people's stories and, and do things like that, but then also I always feel like it's also my job as a still a practicing nurse that I try to, you know, cause I'll have physicians on, I'll have, you know, people doing things. And I like to basically, you know, drop that information like, Hey, Okay, now let's get into some medical facts too. So yeah. yes, now we introduced who Shadon is and put some respect on her name. Now we can trust what she's saying. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs>
love that. Thank you, Holly. You are amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you.